0: What happens when a black guy, a white dude, and an Hispanic man happen to be pro wrestling marks? You get debates, roasting and fun in Jeep Nation's newest podcast, Breaking Ring Rust, and it starts right now. Ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, marks, workers, everybody, welcome back to Breaking Ring Rust by Jeek Nation. I am your host, Rockin' Mr. Magic, joined as always by my tag team partner, JT Tizzle Tizzle, and joining us for this triple threat is JT's long friend, MP Matt Privet. Matt, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Good
1: to be here again. All right. So we are going to deep dive into part two of our uh, Lex Luger uh, um, exclusive here that we're doing. Uh, one thing I want to backtrack on, we did miss something for Luger 88 that was kind of a, I don't say a huge deal, but was a, a big deal at the time. Um, right after Luger and Wyndham lose the tag team titles, uh Luger uh, would form a makeshift team with Sting, and they would win the last ever Crockett Cup.
2: Can't believe we missed that.
1: Yeah. They would defeat the then World Tag Team Champion, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson in the finals. Um, the story going in the tournament was I believe, and Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Sting was supposed to team with Ronnie Garvin, and of course, okay. Wyndham was supposed to team, or Luger was supposed to team with Wyndham since they were had been the World Tag Team Champions. Uh, and so they, the story that Garvin is injured, of course, Luger and Wyndham split. So now Luger and Sting form this makeshift team and they go all the way, um, along the way, they defeat, uh, Dick Murdoff and Ivan Koloff and they defeat, uh, Midnight Express and they defeat, uh, the powers of pain, uh, en route to the finals. Yep, that's that's how I remember it. And so that was uh, not a huge, huge deal, but it was a a big story in 88. That did happen between the breakup of and Luger and Luger challenging for the world title.
0: I can't believe he forgot that. Terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible.
1: My bad. All right, so uh, we're going to launch into uh, 1989. Now we brought Matt in to be our our Crockett uh, NWA WCW era Luger expert, so we'll let him jump in here with uh, 89 and Luger. What do you remember okay. about Luger starting in early 89? Well, in
2: 89, he's coming off of the loss to Flair at stargate '88, and really uh, they they throw him together with. Barry Windham again. Windham by now is the U.S. champion. He's held that title since April or, or May, uh, May when he won a tournament. And it, it's kind of like uh, Windham's coming out of a short program with Bam Bam Bigelow and here's Luger now and can't throw him right back in with Flair, so let's just put our next two guys together. And they kind of just throw them together for a match at chi Rumble. I, I don't personally recall much of an issue Leading up to this, they did not play all up the um, the betrayal angle very much, as I recall. It was just no. kind of like Luger's going to challenge for the U.S. title. And so that's what happens. This is the same show where Steamboat beats Flair for the world title. Okay. And um, they do this angle where Wyndham hits the ring post with his hand and, and hurts his hand. Um, I believe both men bleed. I know Luger's bleeding at the end of it, um, but they do the angle with the old uh, belly-to-back suplex, and Luger gets his shoulder up, and he's the new champion. And Wyndham responds by pile-driving him on the the title. Yeah. And uh, so he's now, for the second time, the U.S. heavyweight champion. And
1: that's how you get your heat back.
2: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we wouldn't get to see anything else between the two of them for quite a while because Wyndham – is going to leave for uh, new york and become the widow maker for uh, a cup of coffee up there but um yeah he's the u.s champion again and that would be the belt that would define him really for the next two and a half years um and you know i don't know if you have any thoughts about that angle or that match but uh Yeah.
1: Now here's
0: the actually before you before you jump into there, JT. When you mentioned that the belt defined he did that belt defined him. uh, When I hear people talk about uh, you know past JCP, past WCW, um, and talking about the United States Heavyweight Championship, I don't hear Luger's name mentioned that often. Uh, Where where does he rank? you know, in the U.S. champions of JCP WW history?
2: Well, if, if you take the whole thing into account, he's got to be one or two as far as people who held that belt. He, I can't uh, – I'm trying to think if he ever held it after he came back to WCW. He did. Um,
1: yeah, he, he, he beat Bret Hart for the title.
2: Yeah, between 87 and 92, he, he holds it for – on four occasions. And as we're going to talk about here in a minute, there's going to be one reign that lasts a year and a half and um, over 500 days with the title. So uh, that, that would be his belt for quite a while.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I believe Luger has, um, <clears throat> he, I know he has a record for single longest tight U S title reign and he either had, and he's tied maybe tied with flair for most reigns or second flair and i think he has the most total days with the belt.
2: Yeah, i uh he's got i'm looking it up now and he's got 948 days with the title. That's almost 200 That's a day. days. There. Wow. So, so that, that would be his belt um during this era. He he held it so
1: yeah, pretty much from from Ju- July of 87 to July of 91, that was Luger's belt. Yeah. Yeah. For
2: all but a few months, really. Yeah. Um, after he wins the title, he kind of goes through a brief period where they're kind of trying to figure out what to do with him. Wyndham leaving, leaves a vacuum of heels. So Michael Hayes, uh, Freebird Michael Hayes, turns on him at a house show in Atlanta and now he's challenging for the U.S. title. And that's at WrestleWar War 89. Which that actually
1: that turn's actually available on one of the disc. Um I've seen that turn somewhere. I can't remember which disc it's available on, but it's a match where it's burying Kendall against Lex and Michael yeah. Hayes. And uh Lex goes for the tag, and Michael knocks him out with the left hand.
2: Yeah, I know that you, the can, pin him. I know you can see that on um, old WC World Championship Wrestling episodes from that era on the WWE Network. But um, he, he's actually – he's the champ, but he, he doesn't wrestle on the Clash card. He's left off the Clash card in between them as a standby match because Steamboat and Flair go almost an hour. Mm-hmm. But at Wrestle War, Hayes ends up beating him for the title, and he gets a little bit of help from Terry Gordy. It's kind of a sloppy finish. Um, I watched it here just recently again, and but but it was a real shocker because Luke Hayes was not perceived as a, a legitimate singles um, challenger, at least in the mind of most fans. Right, but. Gary Gordy comes in and gives him the, the, the literal push to uh, land on top of Luger to get pinned.
1: Yeah, they crack the heads. Was, uh, Luger falls down. Hayes falls against the ropes, and Gordy just pushes him over. Gordy does a run-in from the back, pushes Hayes over, and Hayes falls on top of him and pins him. Yeah,
2: and that's all part of And that was Gordy returning from – being in Japan really and he uh there they come back and you get Jimmy Garvin joining the new free birds not long after that but that title change actually marks a change in the character of he's been a, he's been a baby face since late eighty seven early eighty eight but you begin you begin to see a change after that where he's not happy that Ricky Steamboat's the number one challenger. He Jim Ross starts to make these comments about the arrogance of the of the total package. Right. Luger ends up winning the title back out of TV taping in West Virginia, holding the tights to beat Hayes.
0: Something right. important happened in West Virginia? Wow.
2: Yes. Well, I don't know how I, you, you can you can determine its importance later, but um, <laughs> that leads up that leads up to Clash Seven and that happened on June 14, 89. Uh, not far down the road from where I live right now in Fort bragg, and he um he's not on the card, but the main event, if you recall, Flair is out because Terry funk piled drove him through a table. The main event of that uh card is Steamboat versus funk, and funk loses by d q when he hits Steamboat with the branding iron. no with the microphone, i think microphone. Luger comes in to make the save and he says, uh, he gets on the mic and he he's talking about how a lot of people have a lot of things to say about me. Um, but he just wants respect, something like that. And then he, he helps Ricky up. He, He says, come on, Ricky. And then he clotheslines the crap out of him and, uh, beats on him with a chair and, uh, then he gets on the, the mic and goes, there lies your number one contender. It's one of my well, favorite heel turns of all time. Nice. But well, um
1: they've been ahead. doing an angle at the time where they started doing a top 10 on TV. Right. And right. traditionally, the U.S. champion was automatically the number one contender. And Steamboat had just lost the title back to Flair.
3: Okay.
1: And so – they started making Steamboat the number one contender, and Luger the number two contender, even though he was the U.S. champ. He was the U.S. champ, okay. And so Luger takes an affront to this, even though him and Steamboat are supposed to be friends. And so that's where the comment "Here lies your number one contender" comes from. Nice. Um, right. And but it was a uh, but this, um but at the time the the top ten was kind of a cool thing because it wasn't something they were doing. It wasn't saw something you saw a national promotion doing. You never saw WWF go. Here's your top 10. You know, you got, you know, here's Randy Savage, the world champion, and, you know, <clears throat> Rick that the intercontinental champion, and he's the number one contender. But here's who's underneath it, you know. So you saw they where were, everyone stood, you
2: know. Yeah. WCW did that off and on for through 91, and maybe let me, even early 92. Yeah. But, um, this whole heel turn, Luger is just this super pompous. Look at me! I've got. I, I am the total package. Let me encourage you to go on YouTube and seek out a squash match between Lex Luger and Lee Scott.
1: I knew this was coming.
2: <laughs> that, that happened. That happened right after that clash.
1: Mm-hmm. And I actually um, sent this to Matt not long ago. Yeah yeah i, I think cool. yeah i watched it. I'll,
0: I'll i'll add that to the to the notes so anyone to show notes so that people can uh, watch it
1: matt if you still have that link that I sent it to you put it in the uh put it on jeep nation for everyone i will i will yeah I will, see. I will i will but um this was something i i gotta get back straight here as long as i've known matt he would talk about this angle and I'll let Matt talk about the angle in depth in a minute, but he is, <laughs> as long as I've known him, he'd always be like, Hey man, you remember when Luther went on TV with Lee Scott and he would always talk about this. And I'm talking about like a good 10 years of us hanging out, he would re- frequently bring this up. That's how much he loved the angle. And then <laughs> I can't
2: think of this and not smile.
1: Yeah. And like, yeah. I guess what, about two years ago, I'm on YouTube and I'm looking at different stuff and I find this angle and I send it to him and he's like, made my day. Haven't seen that in years. Nice. So um,
2: people criticize Luger all the time for being kind of wooden. And, and he wasn't always the most graceful on the mic. I guarantee there's a, in particular, well, we'll skip that, but he comes
1: to the ring.
2: He comes, he comes to this, to the ring for a regular TV squash match. And he decides that he wants to offer this young competitor, Lee Scott, a chance to wrestle for the United States title. And he has a contract and, um, yeah, he, he's, you know, would you like to do that? And Lee Scott's like, yeah. And no, it's like, yes, Mr. Luger. And Lee Scott's, you know, yes, Mr. Luger. And, the, you know, this goes on and on. And um, long story short, because I don't want to drag on too much, but Lee Scott signs his contract and, you know, Ray, Luger raises his hand because here's this guy getting an opportunity for a title match and this suckers him. And pins him one two three immediately, crushes all of his hopes and dreams. You, you got to see it. it. I mean, you, you don't see angles like this anymore mm. because there are no squash matches hardly ever anymore. True. Um, yeah. But it, it, it's just a wonderful little piece of TV. Yeah.
1: He 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 does this build, and the build goes for like several minutes. Yeah, it's and it's then great. The, and then the match is like five seconds.
2: Yeah, if that and yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, it's in, I've got it saved in my, my playlist, my, so I'll, I'll pull that up, but yeah, great angle, and, and really lets you see the character of the yeah. total package.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and Lee Scott is the most 80s-tastic looking guy with, like, the jet black hair in it, parted in the middle, the porn stash, the, it's... <laughs> we <laughs> wearing like, like leopard print types or something like that. He's just like so eighties tastic.
2: Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, you know Lee Scott's legendary to me. It's also worth checking out a, a squash between him and Sid Vicious, but that's another story for another day. Yeah, um, right. that 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 takes us to Bash '89, Flair Funk on top, Sting and Muda but between those two matches is Luger Steamboat and that's that's an underrated match um Integrating one
1: of the best, set up the match too
2: yeah luger it's been announced it's going to be a no DQ match luger's like no it's not and he's back there with Gordon Sully, i believe saying it's i'm not doing that he gets to the ring and basically says i'm not wrestling unless it's a no D, unless it's a regular rules match and steamboat agrees Good match. Luger is the heel. He grabs the chair. But Steamboat's the one who ends up using the chair. And so Steamboat gets disqualified and uh, chases Luger to the back. And I think that's I, – I, I'm pretty sure that's Steamboat's last match in WCW. At least his
1: last big match, yeah. He, hmm. For two years. A, yeah, it's a cool spot. Luger grabs the chair. He's going to get himself disqualified to keep the belt. Uh, Steamboat double leg takes downs and does the catapult into the corner, you know, uh, and Luger's face smashes into the chair and he, you know, he staggers out then Steamboat picks up the chair, does the old Steamboat baby phase oversell of, you know, should I hit him? Should I hit him, you know? Looking around the crowd. Yeah. And then, you know, the referee's like, don't do it, don't do it. You know, because the referee let it slide when Luger's hit the chair because Luger's one who brought the chair in the ring and was in possession of the chair. Right. But then Steamboat just waffles in with it. Um, But Luger's showboating before of, like, nope, nope, nope. When they say no DQ match and he's like, nope, nope, nope. And they've got Gary Juster out there, which is probably the only time Gary Juster's ever been on TV. Um. And uh, yeah, that's that's a classic. I've watched that a, a bunch of times in my life. Yeah. And um, steamboat leaves directly very shortly after.
2: Yeah, I think yeah you know, he he came in for a little six month deal and then was gone again. Um. After that, uh, Luger works a, a brief program with Tommy Rich. They actually have a couple of passable matches on tv um but that leads into the fall i say something about the total package <laughs> yeah well uh look, i'd prefer not to talk about tommy
1: rich if we don't there, have there's to a, but there's uh, a joke about total package and and peroxide but i won't go there
2: yeah yep <laughs> uh, you've already gone there and that's enough um <laughs> i didn't
1: go there go there though i just kind uh-huh. of painted a middle picture
2: Anyone who listens to wrestling podcasts knows where you're going. But um, listen, uh, we, we get into the fall Halloween Havoc, the first Halloween Havoc he's put in there with Brian Pillman and Brian Pillman's new to WCW. And this is just a classic I big, love this man, match. big man versus and Brian Pillman's not a little man, but he's uh, smaller than Luger and just a great little match. Um, I love this match. Yeah, Luger ends up winning. He he'll he'll win a rematch at Clash Nine, but just a wonderful couple of matches they had. And uh, we're kind of speeding through here because so much to cover with Luger. But um,
1: Luger, yeah, Luger and has a a, a really uh, nice uh, hot shot to finish on Pillman too. And, and I don't know why he didn't utilize that more in his career.
2: Yeah, he, he, he did. Uh, that was a, a good finish to that. And just, uh, Luger still, you know, he's, he's, a, he's the U S champion and flair is working with sting as the, the top faces, but Luger is still right there as far as, uh, he's a Hill now, but the fans, he gets the reactions
1: and, uh, there's two cool things that Luger does here, too. One, he takes his old Olivia Walker robe, and he has it cut up where it's like –
0: That $5,000 robe?
1: Right. And he's got Ooh. it cut where there's like, uh, like slits in it and stuff like that, and it looks completely – it looks different now. Um, and it had a cool look to it. And the other thing was <clears throat> he's like openly mocking the fans who are cheering him now. Like right. like saying, I want you, you know, I want the fans to hate me. And then he's got the fans that are cheering him because he's now a cool heel and he's mocking the fans. Like they'll be in Chicago, which is his fake hometown. And he's mocking the Chicago fans that are cheering him. You know? mm. right. And that was one of the cool things. And um another thing that I know is one of Matt's favorite things is right before that Halloween Havoc match Gordon suddenly asked him, how many times have you been U.S. champion? Uh, <laughs> trying to get him to admit he can be beaten. And he clearly ignores it. And he says, Gordon, I will be U.S. champion as long as I want to be.
2: And then Gordon's like, well, he's been there more than once, so he can be beaten. Let's yeah. go to the ring. <laughs> yeah. uh, so he does beat Pillman, and he beats him again at the clash. At the end of that clash, there's the Flair funk i quit match. you Remember, there was the big post-match brawl with Sting and Muda. Gary Hart turns on Funk after the match. Luger ends up getting involved with this.
1: Right, and before Um, that, Flair had been given the Wrestler of the Decade award, and Sting had been given Most Popular Wrestler. Was it? I believe that inspirational or something like that. One of those awards that that, you know those touchy-feely awards.
2: Yeah, those, those those very legitimate PWI awards. Yeah, and um, I want to say, gosh, it's been a, it's been a while since I've seen this, but I want to say Luger attacks Sting at some point during this night, or maybe no, Sting comes out after the Luger Pillman match that night to make the save, and that sets up Luger attacking Sting at the end of the night as part of the big brawl. But that all leads to the Stark 89 Iron Man, which was—
1: Well, uh, also at the end of it, uh, Sting destroys their—I mean, Luger destroys their trophies.
2: Yes, he does.
1: Yeah, he destroys their trophies, which as a kid, I thought, that's horrible. He's destroying their yeah. trophies. Mm. As a well, kid, I was like, that's terrible. Uh, and, and and allegedly, Bill Apner took the destroyed trophy of the Wrestler of the Decade and was like, we're going to give this away some other time. This'll be enough. this will be a reader's prize. Yeah. Um
2: but really what that does is it serves to get Luger back into the the picture along with Flair Sting and Muda because of the Iron Man Starkade eighty nine, which was a an innovative concept, but it was is really ill conceived. We could talk we could do a whole podcast on how Starcade eighty nine should have been booked. And <laughs> Lord knows I've done it a few times. But yeah. um Luger ends Star, Star up coming
1: '89 is one of yeah. '89 is both one of my favorite and least favorite pay per views of all time. It's it's the Schrodinger's cat of pay per views. Yeah, well, it's
2: <laughs> yeah. it's not my favorite. Uh,
1: it, well, it's it, favorite to me because I like the round robin concept and I like what you can do with the round robin concept. But not for Star But but they. And I think even for StarKate, it couldn't have been big because you said, okay, we got our four biggest stars, which they did with the singles. They didn't do that with the tag teams. But at the same time, they, they really mishandled how they did the four main single stars. Uh, but the one thing we, we can say for Luger is Luger was protected during this tournament, even though he didn't win. Because Flair's right. the only guy not to lose the entire time.
2: That's right. He beats Sting by pinfall with his feet on the ropes. He beats Muda by DQ. And, and draws he Flair. and Flair go to a 15-minute draw. And he ends up with uh, 35 points. Sting ends up pinning Muda and Flair to get 40 points. So Sting's anointed the, the chosen one. And that sets up the beginning of 1990 where – Luger is going to be put into a program with Dr. Des Steve Williams, supposedly, to uh, defend the U.S. title at Wrestle War in February. And of course, Sting is going to challenge Ric Flair. Sting's a horseman, but then there's the whole angle at the Clash 10 where they turn on him. Just a great, you know, whether uh, you like Ole Anderson or not, <laughs> his little speech to Sting. Is classic, and, yeah. That's
1: and, that. That's my favorite. Only Anderson promo. When and I'm and not, not an no Only fan, long but that's my favorite promo. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and you yeah. know the word is Sting was. Supposed and you look at me when
1: I talk to you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Sting, Sting was supposed to win the title, uh, <laughs> supposedly at Wrestle Award but um, he he blows out his knee, um, and who, who, what are you going to do now? Uh, well, but, and they could have gone with Muda, but they didn't want to turn Muda face, or he didn't want to turn face. So they go back to Lex Luger.
1: And so, and, and this is something that both. Uh, and if you ever get a chance to go back and find it on the old Rick Flair podcast, mm-hmm. um, Rick Flair and Jim Cornette talked about, and Cornette's talked about it on his multiple podcasts. They were both members of the creative team at the time. Blair was the head booker. And, you know, they the, the plan was uh, that, that Sting was going over. And so when Sting gets hurt, they're first thinking, well, how bad's it going to be? And then they find out, well, you know, the, the tendon's gone. So it's going to be a while. You, you got a pay-per-view and literally in literally just a matter of weeks. Uh, what do you do? Who do you insert in there? Um, and, uh, you know, they both go into detail about, like, what was going on that night when they planned the next day and mm-hmm. what happened with the pivot. And they go into much more detail about it. But, yeah, hands down, the, um, you know, two members of the many including the head booker, who also happened to be the world champion that would be passing the belt, said, yeah, undoubtedly, uh, the belt was going to sting that night.
2: Wow. Well, Luger's put in that position instead. And Wrestle War 90 is one of which,
1: my – Which Luger's still a heel at the time, yeah.
2: Right. Luger's a yeah. heel. This is taking place in Greensboro, February 25th, 1990. And Luger's a heel. He's still the U.S. champion. And this is his first chance to wrestle for the title on TV at least – Um since Starrcade 88, he, he did do house show matches with Flair in, in 89.
0: Wait, so, but, um, so there, there was a gap from 88 to 90 where he didn't uh, defend it on TV roughly?
2: About 14 months where Luger didn't challenge. wasn't in the world title picture. Okay. But now he's thrust back into it almost by default. And Flair and Luger end up having a really good match. and
1: Except for Luger's figure four it.
2: Well, yeah, Luger did try to do the figure four the wrong way, which was fantastic in its own way. But just – I love the booking of how this ended. Sting comes down on crutches to pump Luger up, even though they're not friends. He wants to see Luger beat Flair. And Luger is already getting a babyface reaction by this time in the match. But now that, that turns him babyface. He is on the verge of winning the title. Ole and Arn come down to interfere. Luger fights them off. They're on the floor. Referee's out. Rev bump, of course. So Luger gets Flair in the torture rack in the middle of the ring. Ole and Arn circle around Sting. Ole grabs him from behind, and they're going to beat up Sting. Luger drops Flair, who would have been submitting – and goes out to save the Stinger and ends up getting counted out, fighting off the Andersons. Mm. So Flair escapes. Luger is a baby face. Look at the sacrifice he made for Sting. Just a fantastic piece of booking in the middle of what was a, a disastrous outcome as far as Sting's injury was concerned. And sets up a sure rematch down the line, which would happen um, – I don't want to talk too long without giving uh, a chance for comment, but well, the whole spring of 1990 is the turning point in how people view Lex Luger, in my opinion. And there's
1: and there's a <clears throat> and there's also a little-known but very controversial event that takes place between here and Capital Combat. Too, right. That I want to talk about too. Um, but, uh, but also, if you get a chance to go back on the network and watch Wrestle War 90, there's some really crappy matches on there. But there's two matches that are worth watching in my book, uh, besides the, the main event. Uh, one is um, the uh, Midnight's Rock and Roll match, which is always worth watching. Um, and uh, a great comment by JR about uh, Cornette winning the, the Mixed Doubles Championship, and his partner couldn't have bet he, he could um and then uh there's uh and then uh just for an old school feel the Andersons versus the Steiners.
2: Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Um you look at the tag team the tag teams they had in early in ninety, and it's just insane. Um but he he alludes to an incident that happened between Russell War in capital combat and it's it happens in march march 23rd um there's a house show in chicago but jim heard brings tv to the house show yes. and he he wants to put the belt on luger there and of course he's bringing tv cameras there so they can have it on tape, mm-hmm. and flair vetoes this
1: and in his which no one tells Flair. Apparently, they just show up with TV cameras and said, Heard said the belt's changing tonight."
2: Right. Um, so they they don't. You know, Flair ends up winning when Ole gets help, and or Ole helps, and uh, they don't do it. Flair Flair, from what I've read, would have done it if they let him out of his contract, but he they weren't going to do that. So. The title does not change hands there. Um, that leads, though, to Capital Combat in May with a cage. Now, I don't think they advertised ahead of time that it was going to be the Thunder Cage. I think they, think, I think they just said it was going to be a regular steel cage. And then you but said it is cage, a cage, yeah? Yeah, it is a, a Thunder Cage. Uh-huh. And it's and fair, explain the thunder cage too yeah
0: that's what it's about to say <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: okay yeah well, for those of you who don't know the different the, the thunder cage is it goes it, it lowers from the you know they don't erect the cage it lowers from the ceiling and it covers about five feet or so of ringside space so you can go outside the ring and fight and still be in the cage and it's not um, cyclone
1: fence either
2: yeah it's not fence. Um, it's the same cage they used at, at Havoc 89 and then Super Brawl 4 and uh, a couple other times. But anyway.
1: Um, it was, it was the, uh, the cage of torture. Right. There's only new one.
2: Luger comes into this match having been in the hospital for a legit staph infection uh, for several days before this, and they make a, a thing about that on the pay-per-view. But uh, since Wrestle War, Oli has stepped back from in-ring work, and they've brought back Sid Vicious, who came back from injury, and he's joined the Horseman. And then Barry Windham is back, and he's joined the Horseman. And this is also the pay-per-view with the infamous appearance of Robocop. Sting Sting is off crutches. Um, so Luger's dominating the match toward the end the Andersons come out Sting comes out with Eligante which was his debut so uh, this is a notable pay-per-view for several reasons Um,
1: looking for is infamous that too
2: Um, they end up fighting the horseman away from the cage but then lo and behold the cage lifts up off the ground it starts to raise and Barry Wyndham slips in while Luger's got flair in the torture rack for the DQ in a cage match. And this is my least, as much as I loved the Wrestle War 90 booking, this is my least favorite booking in maybe top 10 worst booking decisions of WCW. I, I mm. am firmly of the opinion that Luger should have gone over here and that Sting should have come back at Bash for some sort of war games or something with Flair and then give Sting the title down the line a little bit later. But um, Luger gets screwed out of – he's had four chances at the title now on pay-per-view, and he's come up short all four times, and all four times there are nefarious circumstances, and he's got this label of choker. (laughs) But it's all just – Flair and Sting at the back that year, where Sting's going to win the title. But man, it left a bad. T- I mean, I'm a Luger guy, and I, I admit my own bias there. But I think they could have done this so much better.
1: So here, and here's the, the backstory behind why they did So, and everybody has their own opinions on this. And here's what uh, what Flair said um, as his position as the booker at the time. Um, and as a champion, Flair had a unique clause in his contract. He had a veto clause, so he could veto things that involved him. And so <laughs> he says that you know, at, you know, as we talked about one point in time, it's kind of even running between Sting and Luger as to who's the next man, who's going to be the next guy. And I guess they decide it's going to be Sting. So he tells Sting, I'm going to make you. Sting gets hurt. They want him to put the belt on Louvre instead. He says, no, I've already told Sting, I'm going to make him. So if I put it on Louvre instead, I feel like I'm betraying. You have go back on his word. I, and then it, <clears throat> he, So basically he says, it feels like, one, I'm betraying the thing. Sting says, plus... So, if I put the belt on Luger and then, you know, then he, then I get it back and then I turn around and put on Sting, it's less special for Sting to get it. After Luger just got it, if we're going to just do like this, like hot potatoing with the belt. Now, nowadays, that doesn't make much sense because they. We went through the, the Attitude Era in and, and the two, early 2000s where they always hot potatoed the belt. But back then, you had year-long title reigns, and you didn't hot potato the belt. And so <laughs> he didn't want to do that. Um, and Cornette talked about the same I said, well, you know, it was also proposed of, well, what if we were win the title, and then he turned steel, heel and dropped the belt to Sting? Well, it wouldn't mean as much if Sting didn't beat Flair. So that's where a lot of that came from. So depending on which camp you're on, you can either go, okay, well, I see why Flair didn't drop the bell. Or you go, well, Luger got screwed. Right. So it's just, it just depends on, you know, and I can see both sides of, I can see where, okay, Luger got screwed because he had all these opportunities. And at the same time, Flair's fighting a war with Jim Hurd. They never got along. And Flair's afraid if, hey, hurts pushing Luger, I don't want to go that way. And if I do these things, maybe there's something out there I don't want. At the same time, Luger didn't care.
2: Right. Luger, I mean, he, he, it's not emotional to him. Um, and, you know, as much as I love Flair, there's definitely an aspect to this where he's protecting his spot too. Mm-hmm. And I understand that from his perspective. Uh, just not not what I would have done it wasn't what I liked as a fan for sure and the more I've thought about it over the years I, I would have gone with liver here and maybe coordinated coordinated sting at uh, starcade or, or maybe the bash the next year but um, yeah that's how it worked and uh, let me ask you a question Um Sting Flare or Luger Flare? If you had to pick one match to watch, would you rather watch Luger Flare or Sting Flare? Sting and Flare. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, I never liked their matches against each other as much as most others. Did. I don't know why. Um, but uh, I would take Luger Flare any, any day. But uh, I don't know. Just thought I'd
1: ask. See, I, I, I'm a. Like, I. I of uh, um, the the Sting Luger matches, I like their their first one at the Bash, and I like I actually like Capital Combat. And I thought the cage match was a fun match, regardless of the ending. I thought the match itself was a fun match, and I actually thought lifting up the cage and having one of them come in was an interesting way to get out of the cage stipulation because you didn't just have a a cyclone fence cage that's you know a couple of feet off the ground and then six feet high that you can climb, you know, you actually had a giant cage. How do you get inside there to interfere? You know? Yeah.
2: I mean, it was an interesting way to get around it uh, for sure.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it was, you know, but, but um, I didn't really enjoy their, their capital. Uh, I mean, their, uh, their wrestle or 90 match. Um, that much um i did like the starcade 88 match but um i don't know i think i i have a, a bitter taste in my mouth about that one because it was like oh you mean luger lost again you know right. when i was a young mark so
2: yeah um, um well i guess we need to
1: but i really appreciate that rifle shot chair shot though yeah that going off like a shotgun yeah. So yeah, so um so after uh so after the capital combat, then we have um, a very famous uh, great american bash match against uh, against Sid Vicious.
2: No, that's a clash.
1: Yeah. It's a clash match, sorry, clash against Sid Vicious.
2: Yeah. Um they had to be short on time for whatever that is one.
0: Now, did that match go over well with the fans? Because it sounds to me like that could end up really being
1: a, a hot mess. <laughs> it only lasted about five seconds.
2: Yeah. Well, first thing you have to ask is why would they? I mean, those are two that that to, to people who that's a match you would have expected to be built up. Uh-huh. This was just thrown together because that's kind of a dream match: two big muscle guys, and for, for fans. Um, they just threw that match together, and Luger pins him with a clothesline in five seconds. Yeah. And it's,
1: yeah. it's just – Yeah, well, what's it's, happening is that they, they ring the, – they do the reintroductions, they ring the bell. Ole's Sid's manager, and he's up on the ring apron, and he's giving him instructions, and Sid's like, shut up, Ole. Leave me alone. He's like, shut up. And Ole's like, wait, wait, wait. And the minute he turns around, Luger hits him with the big clothesline and pins him. Yeah.
2: And that's that. Um, Wow. And and then that takes us to bash 90. And remember, Luger's still the U.S. champion. He's been the U.S. champion now for over a year. And they put him in the ring with um, a young man who it's unfortunate that he didn't make a bigger name for himself later on, but uh, Mark Calloway, known as Mean Mark Callas. And uh, he is managed by the advocate Paul Heyman.
0: And he featured a call. heart punch if I yeah. call properly.
2: Yes, right. Paulie, dangerously, and uh, they've got a they, they have a about a ten minute match for the U.S. title.
1: I would launch into my Paul Heyman uh, impersonation, but I know that my I have to be loud to do that. I don't want to get screamed at right
2: now. So right, well, it looks like Mean Mark's going to win the title when uh, Luger gets hit with, with the phone and the head. But Luger kicks out, and then a moment later hits uh, a big clothesline for a quick
1: one-two-three. And uh, well, he, Mark's going for that aforementioned heart punch, and Luger has right. a big boot, and uh, as a counter, and then hits a big clothesline.
2: Right. So um, so Luger's still the champ. Flair loses the world title that night, and so. Sting gets launched in this uh, misguided Black Scorpion angle almost immediately after the (laughs) bash. What's Flair to do? Well, Flair wants another shot at the title. What's he going to do? He's going to wrestle the number one contender, who's the U.S. champion. And so at the next Clash of Champions, Clash 12, I believe, um, we have the unique position of Luger defending a title – against Ric Flair, and uh, that ends up in a DQ when Stan Hansen, who's new to the area, is mad that he's not ranked higher and he wants to get to Luger since Luger's number one, and that sets up a Luger-Stan oh. Hansen feud uh-huh. for
1: the fall. And he kicks a crap out of Luger. Goes over clean uh, against Luger. Well, I was talking about it, the clash. He kicked the crap out of him when he came out there yeah like like that was not a that was not a work beating <laughs> that was a shoot beating
2: <laughs> right yeah well yeah he was also blind as a bat so yeah um and I guess he still is but um that sets up Halloween Havoc 90 where Hansen wins the U.S. title clean in, in somewhat of a shocking finish so Luger's U.S. title reign ends after uh, I think over 500 days mm. and
1: I think it's five hundred and four um, days, seventeen months.
2: There you go. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, he would get it back at Starcade that year in a uh, in a, in a Borut match.
1: Yep. but but there you're it. forgetting one very important fact. At at the Clash of the Champions between there, he defeated Motor City Man Man using a version of Stan Hansen's Lariat.
2: Well, I mean. And, and I guess since we're going to say that, I, sh- I neglected to mention he also beat the blackmailer at Clash Five in nineteen eighty nine. But, but you know,
1: I was going to bring that up, but you know,
2: sorry, uh, and that was Jack Victory, by the way. And sorry, I sorry I left off that important detail.
1: Well, I, I was but, just going to bring that up because I remember uh, Luger using just basically a regular lariat, but Jim Ross going, "That looks like Hanson's lariat. That right. looks like Hanson's lariat." Yeah.
0: So, um, I, uh, how, how, I don't know the Hansen's Larry, So
1: how distinctive is this Larry? I mean, it's pretty distinctive. Hanson throws a, like a crooked arm clothesline from the left side. Um, and he throws it almost okay. like a punch. It's, um, like he turns his whole body when he does it, instead of like just holding his arm out for, for clothesline, like most people do, he has his body like at an angle and then he just kind of swings his arm with his body. And in a kind of a big motion, and hit you with it. Okay. And and if you see guys, especially in Japan, really sell it, they'll three sixty, they'll yeah. like the way they sell
0: the uh, GBOs clothesline. line.
1: Right. And and JBL, a hundred percent got it. But yes. from from Hanson, but Han- Hanson. Um, I mean, Hanson just looked like he—he he killed you when he did it, and, and there's his compilations nickname, you can watch. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, his nickname is Stand the Lariat Hanson because of how
1: yeah. how uh, associated he is with that move. Yeah. I mean, if you if you hit some, I mean, if you really hit somebody like that, it really will knock them goofy. So. Yeah. He, you know, he. I mean, he, and I'm pretty sure some of those videos, especially being as blind as he is and as stiff as he worked anyway, some of those videos guys aren't selling when you see right. get hit. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they go to Starcade, and there's a, a, a an apparent dusty finish or false finish, whatever you want to call.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, where Hanson appears to win, and they. Uh, Luger knocks the referee out going for the fourth corner and uh, then Hanson hits Luger with his boot and then touches all four corners in front of a second referee.
2: But lo and behold, the first referee did see him touch the corner.
1: Mm -hmm. um, And 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 this is the first time Luger's victorious, quote unquote, in Star Cave.
2: Yeah. Yeah. so going into late ninety, uh, Luger's—you can actually find Luger teaming up with Big Van Vader on TV for some reason against like the Big Cat and things like that. But uh, in early ninety-one, he's
1: kind of—and they're doing some some weird things too. I remember this—they're um, doing some things uh, around that time with uh, Big Cat and him on house shows because Big Cat was using the torture rack too. And I remember in the Omni them doing a football match between the two of them.
2: Actually, that I think you're thinking of uh, the Meadowlands on the same card where Flair beats Sting for the title end.
1: Uh, well, I think um, they did one in, in the Omni too. And
2: Well, they may have. But uh, they did do that at, at the Meadowlands as well. And uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to mention that. Luger ends up working with uh, – Stan Hansen's buddy Dan Spivey, at wrestlewar
1: War ninety one. You know We're forgetting that I was gonna mention that before that there's the clash.
2: The tag match, yes. Right.
1: Where it's Sting safe. Yeah, Sting and Luger uh team up uh for uh and they're gonna challenge Doom for the tag team titles. And uh they are doing really well, they're dominating the match. And then Dan Spivey, who is uh, Stan Hansen's protege and tag team partner in Japan, comes out and attacks Luger, causing a disqualification. And sets yes. up uh, a U.S. title match between the two of them at uh, Wrestle War.
2: Yes, uh, a match that Luger wins. It's a pretty decent power match. Um, I'd say it's, it's, it's an most, underratedly
1: good match.
2: Yeah, but it's most noteworthy because of what happens after it. Nikita Kolos has shown back up for the first time in over two years. Um, Well, about two years. And uh, he is going to present the winner with a brand new U.S. title belt. The reason that's the case is because now WCW – the NWA is now known as WCW, and so they need a new belt. And Luger is presented with the title, all right. Koloff uh,
1: says, Le Luger. I have something I have been wanting to give you for a long, long time.
2: And let me tell you how much I appreciate that, that, you know, an angle that actually goes back to history that's longer than three to six months in the past. Mm -hmm. Kooff makes reference to when Luger beat him for the U.S. title in 1987. And they've still got a thing with each other. And – That was – you don't see that hardly ever anymore. But um, something to be appreciated that Koloff comes back after all these years and he's – you know, he got cheated out of the title in 1987 and so he's going to present it to Luger by hitting him in the head with it. Uh And uh, Koloff is back as a monster here.
1: Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and so this is uh, – and an interesting thing here is that So, when Ted Turner bought JCP, Jim Crockett Promotions, he had licensed it as World Championship Wrestling. Right. Um, But they were still using the NWA name and the NWA titles. When they'd say, we're World Championship Wrestling, but NWA titles. And so, um, they would, at at some point in 1990... Um, especially towards the end of the year, they start saying, well, you know what? Well, What's left in the NWA, which is basically a skeleton, at the time, um, is saying, well, you know what? You guys never actually applied to become members of the NWA when you bought Jim Crockett Promotions. Um, and, and you guys haven't run any of your decisions by the NWA board, um, and you haven't, all this stuff. So you shouldn't really be using our titles. So they That's said, an interesting wrinkle. So they say, well, that's fine. We'll just go by our own name, and they just start using WCW. I mean, they always had WCW there, um, and
2: a, it had been WCW branding for some time, right. basically all of 1990, especially.
1: Right, but now they're um. Now they make the whole switch over, and you never hear NWA mentioned starting in like January of '91. You never mm-hmm. hear NWA World Champion anymore; it's WCW World Champion. They never make anything formal. It's just, a, it's just a subtle change on TV where you're just like, "Hey, when's the last time you heard NWA?" You know. And so slowly through that year, they start um, over the next year or so, changing the titles over. Um, so they'll start with the U.S. title. Um, the world title time didn't have an, an initials on it, so um, the big gold belt did not have initials on it um, until it went to WWE. Um, and then there's, um, and then they'll change that. They'll change the tag titles later that year. Um, then next year they'll change the TV belt, and they'll get rid of the US tag belts the next year. Yeah. All
2: right, so. Um so
1: back to after Russell Matt. Sorry for that aside.
2: No, 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 no. Luger and Kooff are feuding mainly on house shows for the spring of nine, of uh, 91. But as we we get into late April and May, you start to, they start building up a weird match. It's Sting and Lex Luger just deciding we're going to challenge for the titles. Now they did that at the clash and doom held the titles, but now the champions are Rick and Scott Steiner, the Steiner brothers. So you've got the top four. Steinerized. Well, this is even not yet. more
1: Steinerized. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
2: not yet. oh man. Too I, really. Yeah. Mm. Um, but you got the top four baby faces in the company wrestling in a tag team match yeah. at Super Bowl at the first Super Bowl in May of 91. And
1: on a match that on paper doesn't work
2: on paper, it doesn't work, Yeah, but th- th- this was, this was a match really before it's time because it's basically, you know, it's proto strong style with an American twist and they're throwing each other around hit, and hit, uh, hit
1: all the big moves. And
2: yes. Yeah. Um. But Dusty's the booker. So you've got to have a controversial finish. And that controversial finish is the shadow of Nikita Kolov coming down the aisle with his arm clenched for the Russian sickle because he's going to hit Lex Luger with it. And so, the chain man, is
1: wrapped around his – the Russian yes. chain is wrapped around his arm. And
2: Dusty Rose is like, that looks like Nikita Kolov. And uh, Sting pushes Luger out of the way. He takes the hit and ends up getting pinned because no one no – one, everyone's like, what in the world happened? Sting goes, rushes to the back, and there's this big brawl out of the building with Cooff, and they are they are off to the races in a feud that should have lasted longer, and uh, uh, that that was. Uh, it also paved the way for one of my favorite uh, moments at Clash 15, where there's the Sting lookalike contest, but we're not on a Sting episode here; we're on a Lex Luger episode.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, And 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 also you had to have a controversial finish because it's hard to put one of these teams over the other team too. True. Absolutely. And they're both baby uh, faces, so um, but yeah, it was yeah, it's and 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 that match uh goes on to win match of the year, and that's the only time that Lackslear's ever gonna win match of the year. Yep. So this was um now now I will say this. Um I don't think that match deserved match of the year. I think that's a case of a spectacle winning match of the year. Of the, I agree. Of the, it's I agree. more about the presentation um, because no match deserved to win match of the year that year more than Heart and Perfect at SummerSlam did.
2: I agree completely. Uh, I, I I enjoy watching that match, but I, I don't love that match. If
1: and, and the tag team match should have won that year, it should have been uh, the Steiners versus Hase and Sasaki.
2: There you go.
1: Mm-hmm. There you go. Which is still um, probably my all-time favorite tag team match.
2: Okay. Um, well, Luger is is now for the summer. Flair's the champ. He needs something to do. We're going to put Flair against Bobby Eaton at the Clash. And then Lex Luger versus the Great Muda at the Clash. And the two winners are going to meet each other in, for the world title at the Great American Bash. Flair wins. Luger wins
1: in about three minutes over Muda. And and the backstory being that Muda had beaten Sting at the Japan Super Show to decide the international number one contender. Right.
2: And so the U.S. number one contender. And so Luger comes out on top. And so it's Luger and Flair in a cage in Baltimore, July 14, 1991.
1: And Luger blocked the Green Mist. That's right. Impossible. He blocked the green mist.
2: Which is actually, was a, which was actually a clever throwback to Starcade 89 when they faced, because Muda was disqualified from blowing the mist in Luger's eyes at that event. And this time Luger has learned and he blocks it and he catches him with a power slam for the quick three.
1: But yeah. And what had happened was the way Muda had beaten Sting was Sting goes for the stinger splash and Muda sprayed him.
0: Sprayed him, okay.
1: When he's, uh, in midair and sprays him which was a cool visual by the way and he moves out of the way while sting's like because sting if you see it it's like he pauses in midair when he gets sprayed it actually is like he pauses in midair and he's like uh you know and then he moona moves out of the way sting hits the turnbuckle moona jumps on the top or cross bodies and pins him right so um and then, so the whole thing was, leading up to the clash, was can Luger, block, you know, do something about the mist? Sting's been training him on how to avoid the mist, and Muda, like, ducks a line or something like that. Muda goes to spray, you know, grabs his throat, when he does, Luger blocks the mist. When he sprays, hits the power slam, pins him, and sets up the... Go back to what you were saying, Matt.
2: Well, it sets up Luger and Flair... <laughs> And I was looking forward to this match because I feel like finally Lex Luger is going to beat Flair and be the champ. And all reports are that that is what was going to happen. But
1: Which I, we watched this one Wednesday night after church. That's right. Yeah, and am. And, 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 and that was a big clash because it had a bunch of kind of debuts, if you will, for people. This one guy debuted, Steve Austin. I don't think anything ever came to him. That's right. Um, and I remember us going to a field day the next day. He's a day, bum. Water field yeah. day the next day and talking about um, <clears throat> that. Uh, and then we went on a trip to Missouri.
2: Yeah, funny thing happened when we got back from that trip. We,
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: We found out that Flair had been fired and was no longer the champion. And – this is not a Rick Flair show, so I don't want to spend too much time on this. But we got to talk about it for at least a couple minutes. Yeah, um, Flair was gonna was supposed to put over Luger at the Bash. Um, there's contract negotiations between him and Jim Herd that aren't going well. Hurd's decided he's had enough. Flair says, you know, you know, you know he's he's. Heard says we'll put over Barry Windham at the TV taping instead. Flair doesn't do it. Uh, he he's not. And he, he you know if you've seen the DVDs, you know that he sends Doug Dellinger to Flair's house to get the belt. And Flair's like, "You got my money for the deposit I paid for this." Flair is going to end up taking that belt with him to New York, <laughs> and all of a sudden. You know, the, the we want the we want Flair era begins.
1: Yeah. So those uh now what's interesting was too. <clears throat> I still remember the so Charlotte Observer reported that one of the main problems, and this was I don't know how accurate this was. Again, it was in the newspaper. Was that Heard had offered Flair a new contract that was half of what Flair had been making. Flair was making. And Flair was making him um, do the math. He was making fifteen thousand a week. And I remember Steamboat telling me the same thing one day. Not telling me directly, but I had overheard him say that. Somebody. Wow. Um okay. so he's making, he making seven hundred and eighty thousand a year guaranteed. Now. And that herd was offering him a new contract for three hundred and ninety thousand. And Flair was like, I'm good. And right. he, he didn't want to take the the pay cut in half. Herd's wanting to diminish his role in the company, cut his pay, put make Louvre the new man, and you know, so not only is Flair not on top anymore, he's making half as much money, and you know, Flair doesn't have the sweet guaranteed deal anymore. Um, so, so he takes his he takes the belt with him to New York.
2: And uh, that means that, you know, you can find YouTube videos of Gary Capetta at the Meadowlands, I think, announcing this to the crowd and them just booing all over it. But the, they end up putting Luger and Wyndham in the cage at Bash
1: 91, which is kind of legendary for how awful an event it was, and it right. really was. Now, mind you, before then, Wyndham was scheduled to be in a tag team match with Arn Anderson pulling dangerously against the Steiner brothers and Missy Hype. But, they,
2: you know, they, they couldn't even put that on because Scott Steiner tore his bicep right after right. the clash.
0: Did his bicep look at Missy? Huh? Did his bicep look at Missy and get scared?
2: Uh, maybe so. Uh, I think it was actually happening in a battle royal on a house show. but
1: uh, No, it was at the clash when uh, the Hardliners that, attacked him.
2: Well, that's what they said, but uh, – hmm. He wrestled in a, a couple house shows after that, but I, said, I don't know. Maybe he did injure it there, but um, yeah, they couldn't even put Missy in the cage because the Maryland State Athletic Commission, they didn't really talk about this on the, on the broadcast, but they couldn't put a man and a woman together, according to the regulations there. So they ended up having Rick Steiner go it alone against Arn Anderson and Paulie Anderson in a cage, but it was just a mess. Luger ends up in the cage with Wyndham. And the crowd is crapping all over this whole pay-per-view. We won't flare. We won't flare. We won't flare. They 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 have a a kind of disjointed match. I've always wanted to like it better than it really is because it, Luger won the title. But truth be told, it's not a great match. I um,
1: don't oh know. I always liked that match. Yeah. Well, yeah. It doesn't hold up for me. Um but, I mean, after watching the rest of that pay-per-view, I mean, that match looks like a five-star classic.
2: Yeah, well, they – they, honestly, they didn't have a chance to succeed in, in the environment they were in. Um, but, but that match is remembered because Harley Race and Mr. Hughes come down. Harley Race says now's the time. Luger hits Wyndham with a pile driver, which I've never seen him use before this match, and he pins Wyndham for the title – and and the crowd is, is confused as to what just happened. I and mean, they really wouldn't find out for sure until they watch TV that Luger's just turned heel. So Man.
1: here's here's the other thing. Um Flair took the belt with him. They've ordered a new belt, but they don't have one. Oh yeah. So so they took a um they took a, a belt that Dusty had from his pro wrestling Florida. Promotion and they just went to like a trophy shop and got one of those metal plates that you just slap on a trophy and had World Heavyweight Championship planted on a plate and just slapped it over the pro wrestling Florida logo.
2: They literally would have been better off making a cardboard belt like we used to, you know? Yeah. It, and it looked, it looked like crap. It came off like crap. I mean, even the the graphics leading into the match misspells Barry Windham's name Hmm. as if to just (laughs) underline, we don't know what we're doing, and this whole thing is second rate.
1: And here's the thing, like uh, like, uh, Luger talks about in his book how Dusty tells him before the match, like, hey, you're going over, but we don't have a real belt, whatever you do don't hold the belt up when you win because it's not a real belt. We don't want pictures, you know, out there of that belt. But at the same time, the production cru- truck zooms in and gets close up. Yeah. It's, the left it's
2: hand doesn't know what the right hand it's was doing.
1: Right. And and Luger talks about in his book how, you know, he's waited, you know, essentially, you know, at this point, six years to become world champion, and when he wins, he can't even hold up the title and celebrate.
0: Right, you can't properly enjoy the moment or get the fans to really engage by showing off the belt.
1: Right, because he's got this crappy belt, which last time I checked, he still was in possession of.
2: Hmm. I did not know was, that.
1: Because I saw some pictures. He had some pictures at home where he had like a um, he had that belt, um, and he and one other belt. I can't remember what it was, but I was like, wait a minute, he still has that. Now there are a lot of rumors going around that that belt was the old Western States Heritage belt. It's not. Um, no, one no. uh, Larry not still has that belt. Yeah. So.
2: This is how Luger but, becomes champion. But if champion. either one
1: of you guys want to buy me a gift um, as a private collector, buy me that Western States Heritage Belt, I'll Really appreciate it.
2: I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. But 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 the point is, this is how Luger becomes champion finally. Mm-hmm. In, in and mm-hmm. with a flare, with a second-rate win at a at a thrown-together event with a a flare backlash. <laughs> flare is really never going to get booed anywhere close to that ever again in WCW. And um, and even when he tries to play the heel, people are going to cheer him. But but, but this is how Luger – and so he's turned. Now, Luger's heel run in 1991 as champion is disparaged unfairly, I think, because of the circumstances of how he became champion. Right. Would it have been better had he – been a baby face and gone for a while like that. Maybe, but I don't know who he would have defended against. Um, They end up turning them heel and he's got Hughes and race. I thought that was a pretty interesting team. He feuds against Wyndham and then he feuds against Ron Simmons. Ron Simmons has turned face after the doom breakup earlier in the year.
0: Right. And I remember seeing uh, one of the promos that Ron cut during that feud. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah, was and,
1: and, yeah. yeah well, Ron was not the best talker in the world. He was not, and that's
2: why they'd end up, you know, putting Dusty Rhodes with him a little bit. But uh,
1: the videos that, they made for him were pretty good, though.
2: Yeah, credit where credit is due. Um, they did all they could to make Ron Simmons look like a legitimate title contender throughout that fall heading into the uh, Halloween Havoc. They, they did a great video piece on him uh, with, you know, his jersey getting retired. And they even had Bobby Bowden talking about him and things like that. And there's this Bowden. great angle. There's this great angle at the Clash yeah. where there happened in the press conference
1: for the contract signing. Yeah. And But, by the way, Matt, what you're about to talk about is what we talked about this a couple weeks ago, which is what led to us having this episode.
2: Okay. But go ahead ahead and talk about it. it, Well, uh, speaking of things you couldn't pull off on TV today, (laughs) um, they have the press conference and Luger is is late getting there because he's a champion. And, you know, Luger sits down and he's like, you know, I I had no idea, Ron, uh, about all the the accolades and all this and, uh, you know, I just want you to know that after all the dust has settled and I'm still the champion, I've got a great team here. I've got my mentor. I've got my bodyguard. I had in mind maybe you being a driver. I need a real good chauffeur. And Simmons comes across the table. And, I mean, there, there are definitely racial overtones there that you could not get away with today. But in, there was still that Southern wrestling mentality in WCW at the time. And uh, for the old school fan, it worked. Uh, Maybe not as well as they wanted it to, but it worked for me at least, being, uh, you know, having my roots in in Mid Atlantic and Jim Crockett.
1: And um, I still remember Luger's line about having your jersey retired. Wow, what a feeling that must be. Right. Yeah. Because he comes across at first like he's being very serious. And like he's very touched by Simmons' career and everything. And right, you know, like athlete, athlete run, wow, that's just wow, you know. And Luger, and, then, and then he comes off with this, just this racial, like you can be my driver thing. And yeah. it's just turns it on a dime. And yeah.
2: L- you know, Luger, you know, he could definitely fumble over his word from time to time, but from 89 through this run in 91 he he could do some quality mic work um and and this is just one example of it and it sets up the the two out of three falls match at Halloween Havoc which um is a is a pretty decent match um you know people who are you know on, won't work great right and all that stuff, and it's not a five star match, but it's a quality match. Yeah. And Luger ends up getting a legitimate title defense on pay per view that that he needed as champion. And uh, I don't know, uh, it, it it worked for me. And of course, I'm, I I'm I'm still a Luger Mark at the time, and he was
1: sweating during this match. Yes, he yeah. definitely was. And uh, now, now, keep in mind, uh, now we didn't watch this match together. We watched this match over the phone together. And this was also the night of Game 7 of the 91 World Series.
2: Which I still can't believe I'm watching a pay-per-view years later. I can't believe I'm watching the pay-per-view instead of most of that game. Because right. I'm a and, Braves fan.
1: Right. And uh, so we're, we're watching this, and Simmons wins the first fall clean by, by pinfall. And uh I and I'm pretty sure I can hear Matt having a stroke on the other end of the phone.
2: Well, Harley Race is having a coronary, as yeah. you put know,
1: it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and it was and then of course Luger uh wins in the end. But uh it was yeah, it was that that was an interesting pay per view just all around. There was some good, there was some bad, there was some awful
2: the debut of Rick Root as the Halloween Phantom. Uh, And then, of course, the Patriots uh, challenging for the tag titles, but
1: uh, we don't have to go into that. Um, Well, that would be the bad, and then there's the Chamber of Horrors, which would be the awful.
2: Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Chambers of Horrors, uh, Sting was in that match, and over the course of the fall, Sting had been receiving these gift boxes, and one time, um, one time there's a lady that comes out. Another time, Abdullah the Butcher comes out and attacks Sting. And then another time, at the Clash, uh, Sting's wrestling Johnny B. Bad and he wins the match. But there's this box that comes down during the match, and as soon as Sting wins the match with this ugly roll-up, Cactus Jack busts out, and um, they end up fighting all over the place. And Cactus leaves him lying. Later that night, uh, Cactus doesn't
0: grab a bad blaster and hit him with it.
2: There was, no was no bad blaster, bad blaster at the time,
1: blaster. yeah. Ah.
2: But but he does do the elbow drop off the ring apron on the sting,
1: and the coolest it, one ever because he act that was when the announcer's table was at ringside, yes. And he and he didn't just run down the apron, he actually climbed on the second rope and he jumped over the announcer's table and did yes. the elbow drop. Um.
2: Cactus is talking to Polly dangerously later that night and a gift box comes out for Cactus Jack and he thinks it's Abdullah the Butcher and Cactus Jack is going to give Abdullah the Butcher a Cactus Jack hug. He goes to hug the box and Sting burst out. And anyway, um, they, they fight all over the place. And that sets up a little program between them and the fall. But then there's the final gift box. that comes. Okay, before
1: we home. get there, we got to talk about, November 15th, 1991, Charlotte
2: Coliseum. (laughs) Well, uh, okay. Uh, I'll let you start that one then.
1: So, uh, November 15th, which is right before this clash of champions we're about to talk about, uh, there was a, uh, there was a house show in our hometown. And so we of course went there. Um, and the, uh, The 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 main event that was advertised that night, which ended up being the uh, the the intermission main event, was uh, Lex Luger defending the world title against the world's strongest man, Bill Kazmaier. And uh, we were six for our ringside. Wow! And we had uh, and so we we ran to ringside and there's uh, Luger coming out with Harley Race and Mr. Hughes. And uh, we got a smirk out of Luger when we were bowing at ringside, doing the, like, we're not worthy thing.
2: And as 15-year-olds, that was a big
1: deal for us. Yeah, that was a big, big deal for us. Would have
0: been a big deal for me at 15.
1: Yeah, (laughs) but but we got a smirk out of him. Like, he was just like, these guys, you know. And then, uh, uh, and so we got to see, um, and this is when Bill Kazmaier was having his – Cup of coffee in WCW. And he uh, does, uh, and you know, he at one point, that was a cool spot, Louver, Okay, so Charlotte Coliseum, which is torn down now, uh, they would partition it off with a curtain just right down the middle. And so, like, the ring would be down by the curtain. So you like if you're on the floor, you're right there, and then there's the curtain, right? So Luger at one point, but the guys would just come out of the curtain. They wouldn't come out of the ring like a way, and like down in the rampway. They just come out of the back of the curtain. At one point, Luger gets mad and, and like ah, I'm done with this, and he leaves and goes out back through the curtain. Kazmir just goes back there because he's the world's strongest man and picks Luger up and carries him back through the curtain and throws him back in the ring. You know, I always thought that was cool because you know Luger's a huge guy and Kazmar picked him up like he was nothing,
3: right?
2: But um, l- go but, ahead. Um, well, Luger wins, yeah. Uh, obviously, um, th- that you know, he he was he was going to face Rick Steiner uh-huh. at the Clash. He and Steiner had a, a minor little TV program where Steiner pins him in an impromptu match, kind of like a you know I can beat you type deal. And he, and he pins him. So that sets up a title match. Remember, Scott Steiner's still out with an he. Scott Steiner shows up at the Halloween Havoc for the Chamber of Horrors, but he doesn't do much, and he's still he's still recovering from his injury, um, really. So he's just in Rick's corner. But earlier that night at the Clash, the final gift box for Sting comes, and it's it's a more elaborate chariot type box, and Medusa comes out and she's doing a little dance in front of sting and uh sting, sting howls sting does his Ow! and then that's the signal for luger to come out and clip sting um and then smashes you know he had the surgery on the the knee the year before he mm-hmm. he, he initially grabs the wrong leg to slam it into the rampway, but uh, you know can sting make his title defense that night against rick rude um which is a whole nother angle, but uh, Rickard ends up pinning Sting later that night. Uh, so now it's it. We've transitioned from Luger Simmons to Luger Steiner. Luger Steiner would continue a little bit through the, the December month, and but really everyone knows we're getting to Luger and Sting. Um, and that year, Starcade. They didn't do an Iron Man this year. Uh, and, and in 1990, they, they did a few regular matches, but they also did the Pat O'Connor tournament, the tag team tournament. This year, the gimmick was battle bowl. This was the initial battle bowl, which I always thought was a fun concept. But I, I, again, it's one of those things I would not do at Stargate. That's but, what's um, fun to
0: say. Battle
2: bowl, battle bowl, the lethal lottery. And yeah, uh, you know, it, it, interesting concept. I mean, there's a lot of different things you could do with it, but um
1: yeah, I think I think it was better when it was a standalone pay per view, um, or maybe part of something else, but not for Starcade. Um, but yeah, the the first, and I really didn't like it when another uh, podcast kind of slammed it and called it the worst pay per view in WCW history, because I thought the first one was kind of fun, and there were some yeah. fun matches there. Um,
2: I think you were at my house if I'm my memory right.
1: No, you watched it with Ricky. I watched it later with you. Okay okay um well, you had to watch let Ricky watch it because his dad had to fix your couch from when me you and Jerry broke the couch was wow, that another,
0: I, was that another power bomb episode
1: no that that was that was a, a crazy friend of ours named Jerry uh shoving uh me shoulder first into a a couch
2: okay well that's anyway <laughs> um. Sting wins Battle Bowl, last eliminating Lex Luger. And, uh, you know, Sting's kind of, this is a, you know.
1: Which Luger would, yeah, Luger would earn his position there um, by, uh, he would team with Arn Anderson, and they would defeat the stellar team of Tom Zink and Terrence Taylor. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And Luger would win ring one of Battle Bowl. Yeah,
2: and Steam would win Ring 2 after uh, it, the final four of Ring 2 was him and Steamboat, Rude and Austin, mm-hmm. which would, would come to be a tag team match at the next clash. But um, the thing that comes out of this that's behind the scenes is Luger has fulfilled all his dates on his contract, and he's not going to sign a new contract with WCW.
1: Um, like, well, he has a valid contract with WCW. Well,
2: he's got a valid contract, but but he's, you know, he's fulfilled. It. They paid oh, right. him based on a certain number of days. Right. Yeah. And so he's uh, he basically, after a few house shows in late December, he's done with yeah. WCW. Um. They set up a sting match for February 29th of 92 at Super Brawl 2, which is a pay per view you should go and watch now if you've never seen it. Um, mm-hmm. Steamboat Rude, Pillman Liger, uh, Steiners versus Anderson and Eaton.
1: And also a great six man with uh, no tag team. Yeah. It's uh, Wyndham and Rhodes mm-hmm. versus uh, Austin Austin's and Zabisco. Zabisco. Yeah. Yes. Um, um, there's, and before that, there's also a Japan Super Show 2. Um, where he or your Japan Super Show three or one of those, um, and it's two, yeah, yeah, and he he uh defends the WCW title against Chono, um, pretty forgettable
2: match,
1: yeah, a pretty forgettable match. Um, but he does make mention of it in his book. Um, but he he basically says he's got after Battle Bowl, he's got two contracted matches, and that's this and, and Super Bowl,
2: yeah. Uh, he does a video appearance at the Clash to hype up the uh, the match, but they make a big deal of Sting's wrestling every day and Luger's home training for this match.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they do a, a series of these vignettes, which you can tell are all shot at the same time. They've got the same background. Luger's wearing the same clothes. But they yeah. show one, like, every week where Luger talks about the champion's prerogative, that he can stay at home and That's right. do nothing, um and that um and that they have um and that he is going to uh you know he and that Sting's wrestling in six man matches with like Dustin Rhodes and Marcus Bagwell. Excuse me, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Yes. Or more challenging or more ch- challenging Rude for the US title every night. Um but Luger doesn't have to do anything, you know. Um, They also make a marketing snafu, um, and I'm sure Matt probably remembers this. So they're hyping that at the Clash, they're going to announce, make a big announcement for Super Brawl. And Clash is on like a Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. That Saturday before a commercial runs, announcing that the two main events for Super Brawl are Sting and Luger and Rude and Steamboat. Well, WCW made all kinds right. of those kind of mistakes all the time. Right, um, but, but literally like three, four days before they're supposed to make this announcement, they've got on their own show, they're running a commercial spoiling what their announcement is. And, <laughs> and, and the next day, so Jim Ross has a, his, his radio show at the time. Uh, out of Atlanta and we're listening to it the next night and you know people are calling in going well why is why is there a commercial saying that the match is already going to happen and it's going oh well those commercials are saying that's what we hope happens and, <laughs> uh, Jim Ross oh, yeah. um, I think that was the same night we heard um Michael Hayes is great I'll never wrestle again line was, or, was that like yeah <laughs>
2: Tri-State's folded.
1: Ball. Yeah, I'll never wrestle again. <laughs>
2: yeah, okay. Um, so, Super Brawl Two, Luger is noticeably bigger. Uh-huh. Um, he's put on some, some muscle for sure, and you can um, it, you can imagine how you can he speculate. might have done that. Uh, huh? You can speculate how that extra muscle mass appeared. Yeah.
1: Yes. Um, I mean, there are the, – advertising him at like 275 or something like that when he leaves and 292 when he comes back. And he's, yes. he's uh, I mean, he's, he's huge when he comes back. Uh, he
2: also looks like he gets blown up pretty, pretty quickly in yeah. the match with Sting, and, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty disappointing match.
1: Yeah. Uh, and so Luger talks about this in his book. He says that, so he's got the, the two matches, He says he doesn't want to be there. And he doesn't really want to deal with any of it. So he literally just shows up right before the match starts. Like, just enough time to get in the door, get changed, get in his gear. And, you know, kind of barely touch base with Sting on what they're even going to do. And Sting's a guy who likes to get there early, talk everything through. And Sting's actually ticked off at him about it, um, even though they're best friends. Uh, And he, but he just wants to get there, pass the belt to Sting and be done with it. But he, uh, he says, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of done. He's he's burnt out. He doesn't. He's got some nagging injuries. He's not motivated, um, and he thinks basically WCW is a sinking ship, and he just doesn't want to be there. And he doesn't want to spend all the time at the pay per view dealing with people. So he just gets there right before it goes. Um, they kind of say, "Well, hey, what do you want to do?" Blah blah blah, and he goes out there and just does the he job. Does it
2: in. Yeah. yeah, melded in, and um, and that that's Luger and WCW, part one. Yeah. Um, uh, so he's uh, yeah, yeah. Everyone suspects he's going to go to the WWF, and
1: uh, yeah. Now the interesting thing was, WCW, not long before this, had taken on a new. Um, executive vice president a guy by the name of Kay Allen or Kip Fry. And Fry had talked about securing Luger to a new deal. And you know, is the future of the company. I've got him secured, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so to the fans, it seemed like Luger was set. Um, but now right after this, and so um, I know to us, going in, we thought Luger was going to retain uh, going in. We thought there would be, not necessarily he would win, but he would retain. We, Of course, you know, keep in mind, February 92, you don't have the internet. You don't have everything else. And neither one of us were subscribing to Dave Meltzer.
2: I had never even heard of Meltzer at this point.
1: Yeah. So we were like... You know, so we thought Luger was probably going to retain somehow um, because we had heard. And then the next thing we knew, we had a friend who was allegedly had some connections. And he says, No, now they're saying that Luger is getting out of his contract um, and is going somewhere else. And, you know, next thing you know, they're not even mentioning Luger on WCW TV. He wins the title, and, or he loses the title, and it's just like Luger never existed.
2: Yeah, they go right into thing work with the Dangerous Alliance. And uh, mm. they don't, yeah, and Luger's the forgotten man. And so fans like me are like, now what? Okay, I guess he's gone. I guess he's going to the WWF. I wonder when he'll show up.
1: Right. right. Which then and leads us to Sunday of WrestleMania eight. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and and one of my favorite promos of all time.
2: It, it really is funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's pro- probably after the the second match, maybe your second or third match of the show.
1: I thought it was after the. Was it after the second? Third? I thought it was after the first match. Uh, it don't matter. Yeah. But, uh, so it, Heenan announces he has a special guest, and they show a video live from Luger's home in Atlanta and uh, they announced that Luger is the newest uh, signee for the WBF, the World Bodybuilding Federation which was Vince's yes, I remember that. side project at the time if, that if for those of you hilarious. who may not remember, they did two pay-per-view events and or two events, I'm not sure whether or not they were pay-per-view or not, no one was um, and that Luger is going to be the newest signee and Luger comes out and he's wearing a WBF shirt and he um, he says, oh, you're doing a great, it's, it's Benson, I mean, excuse me, Bobby and Grill on commentary, right? He says, Bobby, you're doing a great job. Can't say so much for the fat guy sitting next to you, it, to which Gorilla says, what? And it's uh, just a great delivery between them. And, uh, then of course, Learer takes his shirt off at the end and poses and says, he's only been off the Snickers bars a couple of days and, uh. Then uh, after that, Luer starts hosting WBF Body Stars, which is their um, <clears throat> weekly like bodybuilding and nutrition yep. show that they had on USA.
0: Why like, couldn't it have been like American Gladiators for Bobby bodybuilders? Um,
1: it was um no, it was it was Vince. Uh, it was America's top uh, model for bodybuilders. It, it was Vince. Huh? Was
0: it America's top model for bodybuilders?
1: No, it was, and they, and they often didn't even have um the uh, like the the competitors on there. It was uh, like it would be like say Vince. Uh, it was hosted by Vince Luger and a fitness model named Kimio Newer. Um, who is the uh, sister of uh, multi-time Miss Olympia Corey Everson? Uh, for those who are bodybuilding fans, and they would go and say, "Okay, here's um, here's how to do squats. Here's some things about this, and here's some things about carb loading. Here's you know," and they and so they would do that, um, and then they would have. Um, you know, and then one week they'd have Gary Stridum on there, who would, who'd do an interview, um, um, or they'd show a squat competition featuring Doctor Squat or somebody like that. Um, for gotcha. That. So, you know, so, like that. So, um, and Luger did that from say April until July, I believe. Um, when when does he? He, he has his motorcycle accident somewhere along this time, doesn't he? Right. That's what I'm saying. It's it's until that accident. That's what I was leading okay. up to. So okay. there's going to be, in either June or July, he has an accident. So there's going to be a WBF pay-per-view. There's going to be a competition. Now, what happens is, here's how Luger gets there. We should cover this first. So Luger tells WCW, he goes to Fry and he says, look. Well, first he tells Vince, he says, look, well, he says, you got this bodybuilding promotion. What if I told WCW I wanted out of my contract and I didn't want to wrestle for a year? Would you guys let me out and I could go do some, pursue other endeavors? As long as I didn't wrestle. And they said, and would you be interested in hiring me for the WBF,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and then in a year I could come to WWF. And Vince good, said, yeah. "Yeah." And Vince said, "Yeah, that I absolutely I'd be interested." So once he's kind of done with Super Brawl, he says, "Look, guys, I'm beat up. I'm burnout. I'm not interested in wrestling. I, I just want to take a year off and heal and train and maybe pursue some other endeavors." But he doesn't say what that is. Can I get out of my contract so I can pursue some other things? And they said, Yeah, as long as you don't wrestle, that's fine. So they give him his release. He, you know, faxes that to WWE. Right. And then they sign him to the WBF. Now, eventually, Lure would get sued over that. But he, um, would eventually um, buy out basically and make some okay. type of deal uh, with them uh, after counseling with a lawyer, just saying, Hey, you threaded that needle too tightly. Uh, you're going to have to do something. And he basically reached a settlement with them. And so you paid them a little bit of money back. Right but gets basically a clean release and now he can do whatever he wants to. But anyway, so he, so while he's, what he's going to do at this pay-per-view where there's this competition for bodybuilders is he's not going to compete in the bodybuilding competition. Again, he's going to be a uh, special guest poser. So he's going to come out and pose, but he's not going to be a competitor. So, like right before then, a couple weeks or so before then, he tells his wife, Hey, I'm going to go out on my motorcycle for a ride. You know, I'll be back in a little bit. And he says he's out driving, he's kind of on some rural roads, and he's says maybe his mind lapses a little bit. And he's gonna start going and he notices he's kind of taking a curve in a way that he's going to have to go across the line in the middle a little bit and he looks up and there's a teenager that's doing the same thing Mm. and so he swerves so that he doesn't get hit directly head on and puts his foot out so that he doesn't hit the whole impact of it Um, but that impact from his foot hitting it kind of sends him flying and he sticks his right arm out to break his fall because he's afraid he's gonna land on his head or neck. Right. And so he says he goes toppling like down this hill. Like you'd see in like a movie or a video game or something. Right, right. And so he, you know, he he goes down, and he lands on his back and he he sits up and he's like, Okay, well, you know, I I think I'm okay. My my arm's kinda of sore and he says he looks himself over and he picks up his right arm and he says below his elbow there's bones just sticking out like three or four inches.
3: Ooh and his,
1: compound fracture out and he's and basically the lower part of his arm is just hanging there. And uh you know, it looks like something you'd see in a horror movie. And so at that point he just doesn't move. He tries to um, like basically tie a tourniquet around his arm, um, but he he doesn't move. Um, some people see the wreck. They come, they take care of him. Um, they get paramedics there. He gets to the hospital. The first person that comes is Sting. Sting mm. gets there even before his wife does. Um, and Sting overhears them say, well, he's going to have to lose the arm. And Sting gets mad because they're talking about Luger, like he's not even there and they're not even consulting him and they're talking about amputating. Why all in front of Lex, like lying in the bed? Right. Wow. Or, or just like, or like they're like right outside the r- hospital room and Lex is like strapped down to this board and he's.
0: Or, or they're right. in the room and they have the, you know, the curtain pulled because you can't right. hear through
1: the curtain. Right. So, and so Sting says, look, you're not. You're not cutting his arm off, you know, and Steen contacts the the noted surgeon, Dr. James Andrews. And if you don't know who Dr. James Andrews is, you haven't listened enough of JR's commentary. And so uh, Dr. Andrews gets on the phone and talks to the people at the hospital and says, here's how you stabilize his arm for now. Get him transported to me. Leary gets transported to him. And then Dr. Andrews sees Luger's arm and says, mm-hmm. and admits later that he, even he didn't think he could save arm. He starts putting things together and going, okay, well here, this goes here and this goes here. And he starts putting in pieces of metal and screws and basically bionics Luger's arm back together. And uh, is able to save the arm that basically hanging for it. Wow. And, and so, um, and this and, is when he
0: got the plague in his elbow. Right,
1: right. Um, and so he ends up basically saving this arm that that, that was supposed to be amputated. Even and and uh, you know, basically, uh, the ironic thing about it was, if James Andrews knew how bad the arm was, he probably wouldn't have taken it. As he imagined um, wrestling is like Captain Hook. And having, like, some type of prosthesis, you know, if they'd had amputated his arm. Because he talks about them talking about, you know, going ahead and wearing a prosthesis for him. Wow. So so he's going to be obviously not making an appearance. And he's going to start trying to work out as much as possible that he can. And then he's going to uh, obviously take a hiatus from the WBF. And from, uh, and from obviously he's not going to wrestle, but once he gets healed up, then he's going to start getting uh, repackaged for his WWF debut. Okay, here's the point where we pause and we make fun of Big Matt. Why
2: are we making fun of Big Matt?
1: Because whenever he disappears, we make fun of him, and then he goes back and listens to it during the editing.
2: Okay. I just remember during this time, I I was so, uh, I was so put out by him losing the sting, and of course, you know, my heart is <laughs> crushed that I kind of disengaged from WCW for a, for a few months at least, and. Um, I was a WWF fan because yeah, Flair was there. I was watching more of that. So I kind of took a step back from wrestling in general for a while after Luger lost to Sting. And I remember hearing about the the uh, motorcycle accident and being like, "Man!" And then reading that in his book and hearing the details. It's just amazing that he even made it back and. You know, it, it's just the fact that he went on to wrestle for another decade or so in various capacities is uh, a testament to what what they were able to do with that arm, given the situation. Um, just an amazing, amazing thing.
1: Yeah, um, and so he so he gets to. Yeah, and it's amazing that he was able to heal up from that, and then make such a quick return. And so um, he, um, so he gets, so once he gets to the point where he says, "I'm going to uh, be ready to come back." Now, King Money has this wreck in like June, July, and has his arm completely rebuilt. And I can't even imagine what that's like, especially, you know, 27 years ago, he says, you know, he's able to come back. And then he says, um, he says, uh, you know, he's able to come back and ready to go. And Vince says, hey, I've got an idea for you for when you debut as a wrestler. And the total package is going to be gone. They're not going to be using that, even though Lure owns that name and can use it. Now he's going to be Narcissus. Yeah, the narcissist, yes. Well, well, no, at the first, it's Narcissus, and we keep hearing about the debut of Narcissus, the man who is beyond perfection. Yes. And so, uh, at the time, Mr. Perfect has just turned on Bobby Heenan, and so... Love that promo. And so... He so Heenan is looking for someone to get revenge on Perfect, and we keep hearing about how at Royal Rumble '93 Narcissus will be unveiled, the man who is uh, the man who is beyond perfection. And if you know anything about uh, mythology, Narcissus uh, fell in love with himself and 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 you know was just completely with himself. So Luger uh debuts at World Rumble 93 and he uh you know has these mirrors in front of him and he's posing in front of them and he's you know y- you know and hena's just going on and just gushing about him and all oh, you are in love with yourself aren't you oh just look at you just look at you you know and and it's just going on and uh so he would debut um. They, so he would make his appearance there, and uh, I was pretty excited to have Lex back. And this was one of my favorite incarnations of Lex. And then they would uh, they would change Narcissus to the narcissist, um, Lex Luger. And um, now the first time I remember seeing him wrestle uh, was he wrestled. Uh, uh, Mid Atlantic legend Gary Sable on Wrestling Superstars uh, and you know beats him with you know and just picks him up and and gives him a forearm shot to the head and pins him which you know wasn't the, the attitude adjustment pile driver wasn't the human torture rack you know and I was like well that's odd you no know? and you know and then uh, that's Monday Night On Raw, he beats Jason Knight, who wouldn't go on to bigger fame in ECW.
0: You really call it bigger fame,
1: though? Well, being, more than being a, 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 a WWF jobber, I'd say, yeah.
0: He lost to Jazz, I mean, come on.
2: I'm, I'm also looking at some of his ring results from early 93, and he had what was probably a very memorable victory over uh, Virgil.
1: Yeah, I was going to all, say.
2: All-American wrestling.
1: And it, he, he did wrestle in USWA with Brian Crisper, and they beat Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett as part of that invasion angle. He also okay. beat PJ Walker, who is better known to most people as Justin Credible or Aldo Montoya. Jumping Joey Maggs. No Riggins. Another win over P.J. Walker. Um, one against Mikey Bipbrek somewhere in there? No. Mikey wasn't wrestling yet. And so this all uh, leads to um, but he beats everybody by hitting them with a forearm shot and they're all knocked unconscious. And this is All leading to well, how this happened? So we lead up to WrestleMania nine, and the morning of WrestleMania nine, there's a press conference. Why they're having a press conference that morning, or or something? Um, Show it on the on uh, at WrestleMania nine. Bret Hart's up at the podium talking, and Luger runs out of nowhere and hits him with the forearm and knocks him out. Even though they have. No program at the time uh, but but it, playing off the fact that Luger was brought in to, to end Mr. Perfect, uh, Flair, uh, excuse me Luger faces perfect in a match at WrestleMania and he says, hey I'm excited to wrestle Kurt Henning because Kurt Hennings like Rick Flair, you're never going to have a bad match with him. And he says, you know, they kind of go over the match beforehand, talk about what they're going to do. And Henning's like, don't worry, I've got this. I'm going to lead you through the match. And then they get in the ring and Hennig looks at him and says, they ties up. and says, what are we doing? Oh, yeah, the Henning
0: forgot match, yes.
1: Yeah, and Hennig uh, completely blanks on what they're doing and Luger has to call the match, which results in probably a less than better match it should have been. Yeah. And and, and the finish is, 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 is kind of odd. Um, Hennig goes for a backslide. Luger reverses it and like, kind of shoves Hennig forward to get him over. And Hennig's feet are in the rope, but the referee doesn't see it. And he gets the pin. Which one, how often do you see a pin from a backslide? Two, how often do you see it from reverse? And three, the guys, both the guys' feet were in the rope and the referee did. But Henning goes to protest and then Luger hits him with the farm and knocks him out mm-hmm. afterwards.
2: Yeah, and they, they would end up brawling in the back, I remember. And then Shawn Michaels gets involved and that kind of jumpstarts to Michael's perfect program. Let me ask you a question, though. I don't recall, and again, I wasn't watching WWF TV weekly. At this point in my life, in all and, fairness,
1: you weren't allowed to. That's fine.
2: Oh, stop it! I'm a. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'ma coming through my iPad. Um, uh, anyway, uh, do I
3: still have that app on my phone that uh, makes that noise?
2: You can edit all this out, dude. Uh, um, there. I don't remember there being a payoff to the. Knocking Bret Hart out, you
1: think that was just a way to protect Bret Hart because he was going to lose that night? Two things on that. One, it was partly to set up to give Bretton out, um, and they did have a house show run with it. Okay. They did have a house show run with it. There was never a pay-per-view payoff with it, and I think a lot of people thought at King of the Ring, since they were both in the tournament, there would be a payoff there. Um, yeah, but I remember reading House show results at that time, and you know, one night Luger would go over, and the next night Brett would go over. So, um, okay, there was never a clear winner there. They were protecting both of them. I remember, even though Luger, um, even though Brett went over a few times on Luger, they were still advertising as being undefeated on TV.
2: Uh, nothing counts if it's on unless it's on TV, right? Right.
0: All right. well, it was on TV, but I never now as a child, but I'd never believed that anybody was getting knocked out by this forearm. I don't care how many metal plates were in his arm.
1: Right. Well, I, so just this, I just wasn't buying that. Right. So here, here's the thing. So they eventually uh, they do an investigation as to, well, why is everyone getting knocked out? And then they say, then they reveal that Lever has these metal plates and screws in his arm. And uh, from the motorcycle accident it's true that he did have, you know, these, um, you know, there's like uh, two plates and multiple screws or whatever it was in his arm and that were used to rebuild his arm. And they're saying, well, because he has those in there, that was giving him now, realistically, I don't know that that's any harder than bone Uh, your forearm right below your elbow is. Uh, you know, the Italian martial arts is the second hardest part of your body, um, next to your heel. Um, so, like your elbow in that area, and and the forearm there is the second hardest part of your body, anyway. Um yep. Heel being the hardest. So I I don't know. I mean, you can legit knock somebody out with your forearm in you a running shot. So, um, but I don't know that having the 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 metal plates in there made it any harder, but it made for a good sport
2: plus you, you you know you can't pull this off with Tito Santana even though he did use the old forearm no one was but Luger is such a big strong guy anyway and then you add the whole metal thing to it i
1: mean it, uh-huh. it, it worked to a yeah. degree i think yeah. and and he and it, it you know at, and keep in mind this was 20 over 25 years ago so it was a different world. Suspension as if this belief was something completely different. And so this is going to lead us to where we're going to uh, probably wrap up for the day, um, is the end of Louvre's heel run uh, in the WWF. And that is um, King of the Ring 1995. Um, 93 excuse me 93 I apologize um, so Luger's going to get there by beating uh, Bob Backlund in a qualifying match um, and if you've never seen this qualifying match it's really funny uh, just for the way Luger beats Backlund um, I remember seeing this and in, in like uh, Backlund's on the ring apron and he hits Backlund with forearm, and it looks like Backlund flies like 30 feet when he hits him <laughs> and on, the, on the aisle, like thirty feet, he just bam hits him, and then Luger just like shrugs, like what, what? <laughs> and and Backlund's just like out. Oh. That was before they started taking Backlund seriously. Yeah, he he just hits Backlund, and Backlund cell that I mean, classic nineteen, 19 seventy cell and he goes flying, you know. And it was. He he sold it like a, he sold like a heel on that one. Where he, he flew off, and yeah. and it was and, and Luger, I just remember Luger just being like, "What? What? What did I do?" You know, and and Backlund gets counted out. But um, and then I I I was I, I was remember watching King of the Ring and really hoping that Luger was going to win the whole thing. But instead, as he was facing Tatanka, and I was really hoping, even though I knew it wouldn't happen, but I was really hoping he was going to, one, end Tatanka's undefeated streak and, two, win the whole thing. But instead, they went to a draw in the first round.
2: And a very exciting draw it was,
1: except I mean, not at all. Yeah, and, and a horrible match. and But Luger did not to talk out after the match.
2: Yeah. Uh, you mentioned at first that this was King of the Ring 95. That's a whole nother podcast to talk yeah. about how
1: dreadful that pay-per-view was, but, um, you mean you yeah. didn't like Mabel as the King of the Ring? I remember us watching that pay-per-view. I think that was another one we skipped church for and probably got in trouble for, but, but we, uh, but that was, uh, it's y'all fault that that pay-per-view was bad. But that, that pay-per-view was so bad on so many levels. Well, I mean...
2: Having your, building to your main event at the next pay-per-view by having one of the guys leave the ring during the main event tag match, that's bad enough, but then, yeah, King freaking Mabel uh, went over like a fart in church. And... Yeah, but anyway, way off track now. But uh, uh couldn't resist my dig at King Ring 95.
1: Yeah. Now, speaking of farts in church, we have another friend. We could do a whole podcast about just about his farts in church. <laughs> yes, we could. But
2: uh, tune in
1: next time for that one, guys. Tune in next time where we talk about <laughs> farts in church. So for the next podcast – um, Matt, little Matt has some time constraints, so we we said we'd set this off here. We didn't go quite as far as we did. So the next one we're going to pick up with uh, Luger's, uh, with what happens with Luger after this, starting with July fourth, nineteen ninety three, and that's one of my favorite mark out moments for me as a. That's on the boat. Yeah, that's on the boat. Yeah, that's on, right, and that's one of my. That's one of my biggest mark-out moments as a teenager. Um, and so uh, we'll start with that, and we'll see how far we get on that one.
2: Sounds good, man. All right.
0: Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so, so much. Really appreciate your insight and your passion for Flexi-Alexi, and we all thank you all for, for continuing to listen. And if you continue to like this format where we dive deep uh, into particular wrestlers, particular pay per views, let us know on the comments. And as always, subscribe to us on Facebook at Jig Nation, Twitter at Jig Nation, and to our various podcasts outside of Breaking Me Rust, the original Jig podcast, also on Spotify. Cashbox and iTunes. Until next time, love, peace, and ring rust.
1: You forgot chicken grease. Oh, no! Oh, my God! Oh, Lord! Stone cold! Stone cold! Wait a minute! Look Oh, my God! It's not, deets nuts aren't nuts nuts. They're meat nuts.
3: Yeah. I don't even, I don't like any nuts.